podcasting. Shut up. And welcome, everybody, to episode number five of Digesting Cinema with Christina and Aaron. And today with our very first guest, uh, the reason we have a podcast, the reason that Christina and I have a relationship. Uh, yep, take that in whatever context you want. I'm just kidding. As a podcast duo, Christina, my host, and Schmodown uh star i should say how you doing i guess i am a showdown star technically so that's exciting i'm doing good it was uh it was it's been a long weekend not i haven't really slept a lot but uh friday night was a blast we got together with all of our friends virtually we dressed up we made it a we made it a party we made it a celebration so i guess as good as things can be in a in still in our 2020 world and even though we're in 2021 um it was a great time yeah, I, some of us dress down also, myself being that person. Uh, I'm Aaron, in case I didn't introduce myself as I stumbled over that intro. And with us is our producer, our host, our reason for existing as a podcast. The only choice for the first guest on this. And actually, it happened pretty serendipitously, whew, said that word. Tony Hield. How you doing, Tony? Hi. I'm doing well. I'm not the only first choice for the guest. You could have chosen so many other people apart from the guy that edits this. It's like, you're going to leave me for like the, the worst categories when you're like, oh, we need something just to make space of the episode. Just like, where's Tony? Where is he? But no, no, I'm very grateful. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it actually, besides, you know, you being the only choice for a first guest, you genuinely love Ocean's Eleven without getting into it too much. But it's like one of your favorite movies I found out after we picked the movie. So yes, yeah, really, that franchise and especially Ocean's Eleven just really as a kid was like the one that I just watched a ton of time. Just like, yes, everything about it is just so amazing. So colorful. Yeah, perfect. So that's this is the type of uh, passion that we want. Before we uh, jump into that, we're going to get to my favorite part of the episode. That's where I sit back and let Christina tell me what happened in this movie. Give us a little rundown of Ocean's Eleven, the remake we're doing obviously the 2001's edition for the 2000's edition of the Letterbox Challenge if you're following along with us. Alrighty, so uh, according to IMDb, so I will cite my source, we have a very succinct synopsis here, ladies and gentlemen. Just that Danny Ocean and his 10 accomplices plan to rob three Las Vegas casinos simultaneously, which is also a really hard word to say. Um, So that's, yeah, there's literally 11 people. You know, Ocean's 11 is named after Danny Ocean and the 10 other people. So there's 11 people. It's like pretty, pretty obvious title here. Nothing, nothing really too much to unpack here. It'll be, won't be like last week where we had theories and supernatural things to discuss. Yeah, yeah. In in case you did not watch our episode last week of the Blair Witch Project and you're not a fan of the movie, I think our uh, discussion was quite entertaining. So uh, if you have seen the movie and you're looking for a reason to rewatch it, check out my theory there. But Ocean's Eleven, I think that it is not exactly about the plot. It's definitely just about kind of the journey of the ensemble of characters and just kind of the elaborate heist. It's just kind of the perfect heist movie. I didn't know kind of what I was missing until I really sat down to watch this, but I uh, wish I watched this sooner. Tony, what was uh, kind of your first overall impressions of this movie going into it? And what were you expecting? Kind of what was it like for you? Oh, I remember it was back when, back in the day, when video stores were still a thing. We went in and it's like, we just picked up like five random DVDs 
for five quid for like two days and just was like oh this one looks interesting and it's like i want to be i would have been like nine ten year old me just there with my older cousin just watching it just going everything about this is amazing everything loves it everything yes yeah i mean the first thing that stood out for me for sure before we'll go into a kind of a little more scene by scene breakdown a little bit of a couple scenes that stood out but was the size of the suits in uh the early 2000s they were like really big like everybody kind of looked like they were really playing dress up suits nowadays are like tailored and like so thin and trimmed and these are just like big bulky everybody has big suits it's just like that was like the first i didn't was not expecting this movie to feel as dated as it did for me with regards to the fashion like I was kind of surprised because it was so influential when it came out on the fashion like of like everybody afterwards. So I don't know if that stood out to anybody else, but I mean, my- you didn't love Brad Pitt's like shiny chrome. I don't even know what you would call that, but I even remember saying to Anthony, I was like, yo, I'm digging that shirt. And he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to buy that. So, I mean, it might be coming back. It's 20 years later. That's right. the cycles. It's retro now. Yeah. Yeah. This movie felt so, felt very retro, more so than some of our like even earlier movies. It's like when Christine and I talked about Kramer versus Kramer, it was like we kind of remarked on how, how much it's hold, held up and like how ahead of its time it wasn't sometimes some ways and like how it still like is applicable today a lot of the kind of themes of it and this is kind of in a different way but just i don't know gave me kind of a much more retro feel than i was expecting it's also the case with this movie it kind of had to be set in its own time period because if you go watch it now and just like wait all this technology is shit that they're using like why are they using the movie would be so much different today than it would be then so it's like having it just have that whole feel of this is but the ultimate early 2000s film it works perfectly yeah the cast is just everything and i really did i guess we can just kind of jump into kind of the introduction of danny ocean as a poker player i just really like that it was a poker scene that was used for danny ocean to kind of pull off his first heist with Brad Pitt's character at the table. I don't know if you guys even picked up on that as poker players, but kind of how they're reeling in the rest of the television celebrities who are all playing themselves at the table, I believe, right? Oh, yeah, and that was, like, the height. I mean, that was the one dude from 7th Heaven. Hello, 2001. Everyone loves 7th Heaven. Shane West, like, just did a walk to remember. Like, these were, were like, the team beat. Like, I had their posters up on my wall from the magazines. Like, these people were bomb.com in 2001. What is yeah, for a thirteen-year-old girl back in the day? Because this is when I was thirteen. And it's like, but like Rusty is like playing along, saying, "Oh, he's bluffing." Like you know, everybody invest in this, and then Danny turns over four nines and an ace. Obviously, like, and then right after that, they go outside, and Rusty and Danny are like, "Good work," you know. They're playing the table completely, and it like shows how on their first heist, just through visual cues, they're able to pull off this like very small heist of a poker game. But it's just like I love how it informs the characters through the action so quickly and they do that with all of the it's kind of a key to a good ensemble movie i feel like it's like using the actions to inform the characters when you have 11 plus characters you're trying to get people to understand and recognize right away so yeah, i, I thought that was really smart that's one of the best things about this film is just the way that they are able to just like create different almost tones for each character where it's like you get to see that danny ocean very first bit and when he's in a prison that is just like a perfect encapsulation of just like you get to know every single bit about his character in this two minutes there's no flashiness there's no nothing 
think you've just learned this is Danny Ocean on a nutshell and then the rest you can get the rest of the film and it's like the same with like the brother Utah twins like you learn about them just so perfectly just like just in those like small clips are you talking about the Malloy twins Malloy twins yeah yeah and the Malloy twins it's just like with a movie like this there's a lot of really cool things to learn but the Malloy twins had a lot of different rumored castings and things like that including the Coen brothers so I think that Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck really worked as those two like extreme comic relief characters and they were I just think like we could kind of go character through character I'm curious about a lot of your guys' thoughts on each of the characters who your favorite character was if there was a character that really stood out for you that didn't uh, work at all maybe Don Cheadle's character Tony like how, what do you what are your thoughts on the Cockney his accent is the worst thing I've ever heard it's like <laughs> it's on Dick Van Dyke levels of bad but <laughs> it's, a fun, it's a fun as hell character but it's just like just have him be from New York just have him be anywhere else he doesn't have to be British I think that was his choice too if I I, I was doing a little research not quite Blair Witch Project levels of research but I'm pretty sure he was ta- using this accent like when the cameras weren't rolling too and just like everybody was going crazy and it was just like Don Cheadle like in the early 2000s he had a weird Rush Hour accent too in Rush Hour 2 like and then he decided to just kind of figure it out a little bit what was your thoughts uh Christina on Don Cheadle and just like overall did you have like a oh no I I, I loved him I did too I mean it was definitely weird like I'm like oh uh, why are you British? And I was like, I don't think he's British in real life. So like, I don't understand why we're going here. But I always love like the kooky character that's like sole job is to just blow stuff up. Like, I feel like I always, it just kind of reminds me of like data from the Goonies where it's like, you're just like setting traps for everybody. And I just feel like that I always like find those characters so funny. Like their sole purpose and their sole obsession in life is just to blow stuff up. And I just, I, I always enjoy those characters because I think they always put a little bit of a comedic uh, tone to the movie when it's like super serious of just like, All right, I'm just going to blow this up right now. Yeah, this movie definitely never gets too serious, and I really appreciate that. It just it works its tone really well, but it has some heartfelt moments, too, um, I think. I'll get my negative, I guess, out of the way here. I really don't like how Tess is used in this movie, or not, like, used. Like, she's just not, like, a real part of this movie, for the most part. I feel like they kind of waste Julia Roberts. And I don't know if, if that's a take that you agree with or not, but I just wish she had a little more to do with the movie. And, like, they did, I do respect they waited to introduce her till later in the movie, but I also just feel like she, her role wasn't really anything. And there wasn't really any women who had any roles in this movie. <laughs> So. Well, I wonder if you feel that way only because it was played by Julia Roberts. Hmm. Like if it was played by maybe somebody that wasn't such a, a huge name actress, I wonder if it would have stood out to you that like, oh, she's not really getting a lot of screen time. Like she's not huge to this plot. But because like, I mean, at that time, Julia Roberts was, I mean, Julia, she's still Julia Roberts. But like, you know, at that time she was, it, she was America's sweetheart. She was the it girl. So I think when you see that Julia Roberts is going to be in a movie, you just assume that she's going to be the star of the movie. I didn't mind how they used her. I feel like it's kind of like they always say like men's motivation is what money power and love so it's like That's you know, word, right? it's, kind of, it's kind of all right we'll use love <laughs> but you know that there's always that dynamic of like yeah he wants money he wants power but at the end of the day like he wants her more and i His feel like that and it was like a subtle way of just showing that 
at the end of everything where he can come back with what 15 million dollars i think was their cut that like at the end of the day his motivation was still his ex-wife yeah it's like roberts was thrown into that because she basically owed Sonberg for the year prior for Aaron brockovich so it's like I, I believe the story is that she got given literally just a contract with a dollar on it from george and it's like we want you here's a dollar <laughs> from george and Stephen, and it was like okay i guess i'm doing this okay yeah i mean it, it is a small critique and we'll get to our ratings later on i don't want to tip it too much yeah i just i really the rest of the crew i thought was amazing i thought bernie max frank was it's just there's something about seeing like an actors i think i think this is my favorite bernie mac performance ever if i'm being honest and there's something about seeing a actor after they passed away seeing their best performance that maybe elevates it a little bit if you haven't seen it before uh, i've run into this a lot when i watch like philip seymour hoffman movies for example where i feel like even though they're really great they get like elevated by them no longer being here and it was just like i just feel like yeah bernie mac is just not someone i've heard mentioned or even like promoted with this movie a lot and i just thought he was amazing his moment especially with matt damon's character where he's just like this is a black thing it's just like perfect early 2000s like undercover brother style humor which was like my favorite kind of humor so like bernie mac i just thought was amazing in this yeah like they're also important with their roles like his role was as important as anybody's yeah yeah, there's 11 of them. Yeah. And it's also that thing of just like, they did it so perfectly and just like, if you took one of the 11 away, the movie would have felt so much different. It would have felt so, like every character was vital to the actual story. It's not like there was just like, and there's that guy that's just here so that we can call it 11 instead of Ocean's 10. Yeah, it's just like even Carl Reiner who played Saul, like I really liked his character like when they got into like the explanation of the heist. It's like he was like bringing up every single question the audience was going to have where it's like they still were able to have like a level of like coolness through it but it's like still like they had like the old Jew and Saul and as a Jew so take your shot at home everybody. I just really related to Saul also and just his skepticism. And the, again, they introduced his character perfectly like showing he's a terrible gambler at the race track where like they did the extra shot of the dog track and like his dog he bet on was like extra far behind they made sure to show that like steven soderbergh just was amazing amazing directing this movie too it was just so smoothly done i just like what i appreciate about this is like there's a lot of heist movies out there but i felt like the fact that they actually had 11 people made this more believable like the heist movies where it's like five people or three people it's like how are you actually pulling this off like this was believable there were a lot of moving parts everybody had a specific job you had people that were monitoring like i would think all the times that i feel like i'm gonna rob a casino vault like i would require this kind of manpower like this made sense to me the other movies where there's less people i just feel like seeing this movie and then looking back i'm like this seemed more believable than smaller heist movies that's my opinion yeah it's true I remember watching a video for a while ago from like is it a cop or a rapper? I can't remember. It was one of these, but it's like they watched the scenes and dissect them, and just like they said that it's like oh, actually, Ocean Eleven is is fantastical in its sense, but the way that they actually plan it and stuff is like very logical and what would actually happen. I really like the reveal at the end of the heist and everything. I just thought that just that moment where Rusty, played by Brad Pitt, puts up his shield. And it's just like so satisfying, the whole plan kind of coming together and the reveals of the plan. And then it's very obvious after you kind of see it. So I'd be curious to rewatch this, what I pick up on. But I only was able to watch it one time. I went through and watched the whole series, though. But Tony, you did rewatch this this morning, right? Yeah. Um, so what 
and you've rewatched it plenty of times at this oh, point, yeah. I'm sure. Like, what's the rewatch experience like uh, compared to maybe our first time experience here? So I have a complaint about the movie The Prestige and the fact that it hits you over the head way too much with the whole like, do you get it? Do you get the joke? Do you get what we're doing here? Whereas mm-hmm. this one, it's so crafted so beautifully in the fact that you can see when you rewatch it, you can go, okay, yeah, that goes there, that does that, da, 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 da. and it's like, oh, okay. So you get more rewatchability of just being able to like fill in the dots and just the more and more you go on because i think this is something that really gets overlooked because sonnenberg is such a big name but uh ted griffin who wrote the wrote it is actually really it's such a fantastic script it's like the way that the whole story is plotted and just like that beautiful mixture of just the work of the camera and the writing i actually rewatched this scene so after we yeah. finished the movie i said you know what i want to rewind back to it and mm-hmm. i want to watch like that ending one more time because okay. like it's literally especially with the vault scene that vault like blink if you miss it you miss the the video skipping mm-hmm. so like it it honestly makes sense that Andy Garcia's character didn't notice that because you as the viewer, you know, like literally you look to like go scratch your arm and you, that you miss that clip and there you truly believe like, okay, they're in the vault. So what's going on here? Like, and then when he's like, oh, they were in a different vault. You're like, wait a second. What are you talking about? I just watched the video that you just watched and they're in there. So when we went back to watch it, we were like, oh, it was like, like blank and you miss it. You see the video skip for like one half of a second and it changes the entire ending of the movie of like, oh, it actually, this is so brilliantly done so yeah i did rewatch just the ending because i just was like i love i love movies like that where like everything comes together and you're like oh crap like that's (laughs) how they did it so i'm like all right i gotta watch this one more time before i talk about it because it was that good yeah i completely agree i mean uh even on your first watch it's like even though obviously we knew there were three other four other movies three other in the series with the 11 it's like i don't think this movie was ever being presented as do they pull it off do they not pull it off and that being like the tension of the movie it's the tension the movie is the like execution how they executed and everything right and yeah andy garcia terry benedict yeah i just feel like that's just a perfect villain name and just like one of these names i haven't heard enough as like just like a general movie fan being brought up as like just a great antagonist kind of to i mean he's just he's so hateable even though he doesn't really do anything exactly like wrong in this movie to get robbed of 150 million dollars which I also thought was kind of funny that that's the amount in the casino today. It'd probably be like 10 times that amount or like five times that amount at least. Like $150 million on a fight night is not how much would be in a casino at this point. I just love because I don't. I don't think I've ever actually watched an Andy Garcia movie. So like a movie that he's in. So... Mm-hmm. This would, this would be my first one, but I just love how he was portrayed. And I love when they do like the voiceover and you just see how like suave and confident he is. And just, you know, okay, he walks to the casino, he gets handed the briefcase. I mean, he just is like so systematic. And like that to me paints the perfect villain in the sense of like, everybody is like, he can just tell everybody what to do, like snap of his finger. Everybody just follows whatever he says. And every, like he knows that he's in charge and he just has this like confidence to him that is like almost makes you want to punch him in the face because, I don't even know if it actually gets to arrogance, but it just comes off like that anyway. Like, I don't think he ever portrayed himself as arrogant, but because he's just so confident and so powerful, you just want to punch this dude in the face. And he just works perfectly in this whole the, this whole movie is shades of grey. Like, we can all say, oh, we like Danny Ocean, but it's like, he's a dick. Mm-hmm. He's not a good person at the end of the day. And it's like, Terry, Terry Benedict, he's not just the out-and-out, just like, twizzling his mustache villain. It's like, <laughs> It's like, 
there are some good points to him. He's a good businessman. He's doing work. He's all this stuff. So it's that works perfectly. Like Andy Garcia doesn't just play him off as just like, I stole your woman. I am stealing your hotel and casino, you old man. Everything like that. It's just like, it just works perfectly. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, he's extremely like dedicated to his work. He's in there every single day. And like, it's like his like, his dedication has almost worked against him in the in the reliability of like he's going to be here. He does this at right. these times to get the like it's work. It's used against him is his dedication to his craft, so to speak. All of the reveals at the end, I'm 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 a sucker for that kind of end where I don't think this movie's portrayed as a movie with a great twist at the end. So I really appreciate that it's not like Sixth Sense style where like you're waiting for the twist and it kind of ruins the journey i was watching this not knowing that most likely they pulled off the heist but not knowing how they did and uh and it's not too much of you know when you watch movies like this where it's like oh here's this snafu that happens and how are they going to get out of this and then here's this snafu that happens and it's just like the series of like unfortunate events like i think they had like one minor one minor thing where they were getting the guy down and they were like blocking him but like other than that it pretty much went to plan so it wasn't just like they had because a lot of movies they'll show you the plan and then they act it all out and then it's like okay so now it's time to execute the plan and then like 45 things go wrong and you're like yeah. and they still okay. pull it right they like, still pull it off plan didn't matter no the right. plan definitely matters here right yeah this movie feels like you're watching a magic trick but it's not like oh Go appears in the box at the end to die. It's just like actually seeing like the it's like a pen and teller trick of just seeing how the girl actually ends up like going all around houses, like gets like picks up the bouquet and have flowers and then ends up in the box at the end. It's just like and it's actually more interesting but just seeing her just pop out. Yeah. No, exact that's a really good point. And I mean, there's no doubt about it. I think this was a really good choice for a two thousands representation. The amount of influence this movie has had over countless heist movies afterwards and just how these heist movies did it wrong like i saw now you see me first before i've seen like this and it's just like that's doing the heist movie like just completely wrong to me and just like making as flashy as oceans 11 but it's nothing else like it's just this flash and there's substance to oceans 11 there's motivation for the characters there's really good interaction amongst the characters and like moments i i just think like there's a lot of movies that's influenced, but not in the best ways. I think a lot of movies took the wrong lessons from this. And it's just like, yeah, it's just like, then other movies just kind of made more fun, but like, it didn't make sense. This movie just, it was so, lo- I was surprised how logical it was. It really makes sense. And it's still so fun. It's like a fun, logical heist movie. And it just like is well constructed as the plan they're showing in front of you. Like, how this movie was made with Soderbergh and everybody who wrote it and everything. I just think in who they got to star in it at the time, who they, it's just like a perfectly executed movie about a perfectly executed heist in a way. Not saying it's perfect, but the execution of it really is close to it. Well, yeah, and I think that's what, like, filmmakers... Well, because, what, this was 2001? And I feel like everybody thinks they need to, like, shock in all the audience. Like, there is, um, you know, just a quiet perfection to just how this movie played out. And it doesn't need to be, here's this unnecessary twist of Mark Ruffalo being in on it the whole time. So now the movie, like, doesn't make sense. But you you left, like, oh, snap! He was exactly. in on it! And then, like, three days later, you're like, it doesn't actually make any sense. So, like, why was that the twist? Or, like I mentioned earlier, where here's 45 things that went wrong, but, like, they still managed to pull it off anyway so like mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be all of that sometimes you can just do your movie and it still works and you don't need to shock in all of the audience for you to have this successful movie or a successful heist it can just happen and be just as successful in the audience's eyes 
I think that we're kind of reaching the point now where we're getting, I did want to talk. I don't know if anybody, I know Tony's seen the rest of the series. Did you end up going through the rest of the series or exploring any of the other ones, Christina, or will you? No, but I will. I was a little busy this week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Big things are happening in my life. Yeah. You've had big media obligations. Yeah. Um, I I get it. I did go through and I watched all the movies. And so I just thought it was, I won't go through and rank them all. Everybody's least favorite is 12. I think that makes sense. Going into this week, I expected to watch 2001's Ocean's Eleven, go back and watch the 1960s and come in and be full on myself, hipster, and be like, oh, well, that's it's nothing compared to, you know, the original. Yeah. I massively prefer the remake. I think the modernization of this is done in an effective way. Um, so, yeah, it is my favorite one. Tony. Would you agree with my kind of ranking of this Ocean's Eleven being the best of the series, or do you have a different take? I do love Ocean's Eight. I think that's a fantastic take on the idea of it, but Ocean's Eleven, the 2001, is the best of them. Just like the only other high film that is similar that I could put an argument with is Logan Lucky because there's another Soderbergh one. If you've not seen that, it's absolutely fantastic. Adam Driver and Channing Tatum, just like that one, but it's completely, it's more done for comedic purposes rather than. So the two very different. Oh, I have ones. seen that one. That one is good. Anthony is made good. me watch that one because <laughs> Seth MacFarlane's in it, and that was a strength one time. But I digress. That one's good. I enjoy that one because nobody saw that one coming because they're quote unquote hillbillies and they're not smart enough to make anything happen. So it was great. Yeah, I'm excited to actually go and watch that after going through all of the other three Soderberghs. So now we're going to get to our ratings. I'm going to um, pause before we get to the ratings because I've waited 30 minutes to bring this point up. Oh, but I'm bringing it up because I received this movie for my 13th birthday as a VHS from my friend Paige and I never watched it. And I cannot believe that I waited until I was 32 years old to see George Clooney look like that and Brad Pitt look like he looked at the same time. I can't believe I waited my whole life to watch that because that is stuff I should have been watching for years. Like I should be watching this movie monthly for all of time because that's how good they looked in this movie. So ladies, for everybody that's watching, or I guess anyone that is into men, you need to watch this because it is the chef's kiss perfection of George Clooney and Brad Pitt looking fine at the same time together. And I was into it. And you know what? I'm not really into Matt Damon. And I had some feelings about him as well. And there was a point where there was the three of them on screen. And I was like, you know what? Life is good. So I'm not going to lie, guys. That is going to affect my rating at some point. But I was into it. And uh, I just appreciate that this podcast is just giving me several sexual awakenings that I never knew I needed. <laughs> hey, the first is real. I'm glad that I was able to help in your sexual awakenings. Thanks, yeah. Tony. And, and as am I. Um, yeah. you know, well, I'm always glad to help with that. I agree. Also, also. I just Sorry. want to point out the, because this we're talking about 2000, we've been talking about that it is a capsule of 2001. It's very interesting. This movie came out in December of that year. And this was like the first, like, more adult film that really came out that was big popular after 9-11 so it's very interesting this was like the one that really brought people back into the cinema it was the fifth highest rated that of that year not right uh most money outside of like you had like Harry Potter which was in November Lord of the Rings which was later in December Monster Sync Shrek this was like the first like adult film that really brought people back mm-hmm. yeah and it's uh, I mean it handles like going into a public space and not making that too triggering with like and breaking and entering and like there's explosions so it's like actually 
really good point that I didn't put together till you mentioned that. So like, yeah, there were, there were a few films that came out in that period, like training day and stuff like that. But it's just like, this was like the first one, but actually like, oh yeah, this actually made a dent in the box office. This actually made like a significant impact in the community. And this is a little different of an experience in training day. Yeah. Gives you yeah, a little yeah. different of a, of a, a little different of a palette at when you're finished with this for sure. So yeah, uh, I didn't, I didn't mean to block your sexual awakening there, Christina, you could have unleashed it earlier. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, yeah. didn't to, I didn't know if I should start with that. Like, I just yeah, felt like that was maybe an aggressive start. But, fair. you know, I just felt like it needed to be said because, you know, I've brought it up before. But, like, again, any, I honestly, mm-hmm. even if you don't like men, if you have eyeballs, like, and you can see George yeah. Clooney and Brad Pitt, like, they have never looked better. And I looked it up. George Clooney is, like, 42 in this. And, like, damn. Yeah, yeah. And that's I, how you I know I'm old because I'm into it. The salt yeah, pepper. I, I, oh my god. I can confirm. Can confirm. Uh, also, you know, Loki from that film, the amazing Yen, just like damn mm-hmm. boy. Yeah, yeah, he was great as well. Like it's, and he plays such a such a like everybody plays such a key role. And like I like that Matt Damon, just by comparison to all the other smoothness, looks like rough. It's just so great. Like it's like wow, Matt Damon is cast as like the kind of rough on the edges, probably gonna could potentially screw up this heist if someone does screw it up person. Like it's like Matt Damon's that guy and you believe it. It's like, that's how smooth George Clooney and Brad Pitt are in this Brad Pitt eating 40 shrimp in the filming of the shrimp scene, apparently. And just like, this is another movie with which like, when you learn about the behind the scenes, it's really fun to learn about. Well, there's just like the teeniest, teeniest power struggle with Matt Damon's character where he's like, He's going to fall in line, but he can go rogue at any moment. Like he still has his own ideas. I'd be curious to see how that expands in the rest of the the movies because you kind of see it. Like you, he's like, he's younger than everybody else, but like mm-hmm. he's got his ideas, but it's like a typical, you know, he's almost like a typical millennial at this point where it's like, I want to do my way and all this stuff. So it's like to really start to see that was interesting. Um, yep. And I will say one last thing is um, before we get to our ratings. Yeah, sure. I, I loved the ending. I love where they all line up. You got the music going, the fountains mm-hmm. are going, and they just go one by one. And you just watch all of them leave, and they just knew that they it's had like to leaving, It's like leaving the sleepover. Yeah. It's like morning coming and everybody leaving the sleepover. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> I loved it. That ending scene, that is, feels like is the very most rat packy thing they did in the entire films. That is very much like you would see like Sinatra walking off, Davis Jr. walking off as well. It's just like yep. that very much is just like that. It's an homage to that and also just like, yeah, you guys are the coolest motherfuckers on the planet. Yeah, and we did it. They did it. And it's like we, we root for them even if they don't completely have the right motivation. So, all right. now And Danny, and Danny gets his girl back. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, all yeah. as well. He got his money and his girl. It, it's it's we we rooted for Danny from the beginning by hooker by crook. He got he got it. So um, now to our ratings, I'm gonna give it to our guest to give us his rating on one of his favorite movies ever. So Tony, uh, you're rating out five stars for Ocean's Eleven. It can be your rating. You don't have to adjust to our rating system. This is your rating. So all right, I think I'll give it four stars i think okay. four stars is very good it's like there's a few things that could have been better and just like once i like him i think david holmes as the composer for this there are some really good music bits in there but it's just like if you gave it to someone that i could bet have a bit more gravitas to it, it just like would have been a whole nother level okay all right, so uh, all right we got four out of five that's tough to get from tony 
So not like Christina or me who give out fours like they're candy. Uh, Christina, is this going to be a four? four oh, of course five? it is. Just just take more candy from me because this movie was a great time. This movie was a great time. This movie had some perfect eye candy. And I'm including Julia Roberts in that because that girl is beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, I enjoyed it. She had some great outfits. <laughs> I This movie was just fun. It was a fun movie and you're just like, oh my God, this guy's in it and this person's in it. And you have a smile on their face the whole time you're watching it. Yeah, I think it was a great, this is something you can watch a bunch of times. And I really, I really enjoyed it. There's definitely nuances to it that you would pick up the more you watch it, that there's, you know, the character dynamics. It makes you want to see, like knowing that there's sequels, it mm -hmm. makes you want to continue the story. Like, yeah, it was totally fine. This could have just been a one-off, but knowing that there's more, it, you are invested in what else are these guys going to do? How else are these guys going to, you know, what what else can they rob now? So it makes you invested in the story. And yeah, I mean, I loved it and I'll watch it again over and over and over again because it's so a good four, movie. It was a four out of five, right? Oh yeah, four out of five. I just want to make sure I didn't yes. underrate it for you. Okay, so I definitely do agree with both your takes on this movie i had a ton of fun with this movie eye candy everywhere there's just i think a few things that were holding it back for me from being one that i'm gonna jump into rewatching kind of anytime soon i'll maybe rewatch it eventually but it's not not one like that i'm dying to rewatch right away and i did really like it. i did appreciate it. i think the music could have been a little bit better i think sometimes the music was very a little bit just like by the numbers for like what this was going and i was a little bit disappointed by that and uh i i'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5 i still really liked it I just didn't absolutely love it. And there's just like a couple characters to me and particularly for whatever reason, Julia Roberts character that just left a lot to be desired from me. And maybe I'm looking at that a little bit through 2020 eyes too much in that very, or 2021 eyes, I guess now, but I still really liked it. I thought it was like a great fun time. And I think the series is definitely worth investing in and checking out and everything like that so i still like that i still recommend it for sure so we add that all up and that gets us uh about an average of a little under of three but we're gonna round it up to a four to um, 3.8 3.8 for either way this is lies in line as a movie we would recommend as a podcast overall it's a good time and now we are to the fun part forgot to tell tony this so he may, I may be putting him on the spot here to look up some movies real quick but we need recommendations for the 2010s. I have some that I have from Facebook here as well as Twitter. So thank you to everybody who's reaching out and giving us recommendations. Scott Harvey every single week is always giving us four or five oh, that, yeah. I wanna, that I want to pick if I haven't seen them all. But yeah, Paul gave some good recommendations this week and a few other people. So Christina, do you have uh, any uh, that you want to bring to the table first as your argument here? And the way this will work is we're each going to, with three of us here, we're each just going to draft one of the other person's recommendations, then discuss those three. So go ahead with the three or four that you have. Um, so I will start with one that I actually have seen and then I'll go with two that I haven't but have come highly recommended to me. So the one that I will plug, and this is probably the only time I can plug a Chris Evans movie, so I will do it, is Gifted. It is fantastic. It is such a heartwarming story. I love it not only because he is in it and I'm obsessed with him, but because I love math. It has a nice teacher-student relationship in there. It has my favorite subject in there. It has awesome family dynamics in there. Um, it's a nice change of pace from his typical action 
you know, hero. And you get to see, uh, you know, him portray a real person who's dealing with family issues and having to make decisions about a child, which is, you know, parents have to go through this all the time. And sometimes they're very easy parenting decisions. Sometimes it's really hard parenting decisions. He's also dealing with the loss of his sister. So his niece is dealing with the loss of her mother and then interspersed his relationship with his mom. So it's a, it's a really beautiful story that I would definitely recommend. I don't want to give too much away about it. Yeah, I don't know anything about this. So say less. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the two that have been recommended that have been talked up to me for quite some time that I have not seen would be Longshot. And I got to throw it to my boy Rue for his favorite movie of all time, Blind Spotting, which I still haven't seen, which I have to because all he does is say great things about it. So I have to watch it in his honor. Number two overall, you know, gotta gotta support my boy yeah, over here. Guru. <laughs> <laughs> so those would be my three. So three okay. All right. Um, I'll go ahead and give some from the crowd here. Give Tony a little bit more time here, even though he's chomping at the bit ready to go. So this is one I have uh, seen, but I do want to mention it's Searching from 2018. Scott Harvey brought up. It's a movie that all takes place kind of through laptop screen essentially and just is like really really a excellently crafted movie by a first time director and i recommend it to everybody one that i wasn't expecting to be brought up but i thought was interesting was the peanuts movie i've never seen any of the peanuts movies yeah. and like i've never even had the motivation to see one either uh michael campbell brought this one up though um tony do you have any experience with any of the peanuts I this one so I've not seen any of like the TV special stuff like that. They've just never made it over here, but it was on TV a couple of years ago and it's, it's lovely. It's like, it's very much just like that. The animation is really beautiful in it. And it's just like, it's not a like Toy Story-esque, like it's the greatest animation of all time, but it's just like, it's a wonderful watch. It's a nice hour or two. Yeah. There's like these movies from the, I thought right away of Paddington movies when this was brought up and I got watched both of those recently and talk about lovely, beautiful movies. But yeah, I just thought that was like an interesting one. When I think of 2010s, I don't think of the Peanuts movie. Uh, so like, I just like those a little, like I really appreciate the big hitters being mentioned, but also these smaller ones. Turbo Kid by Bill was mentioned. I still haven't seen it, and I'll consider I mean, it not for this. I, I don't think I ever realized that Turbo Kid was a recent movie. I just assumed it was like a childhood favorite from the 80s. So <laughs> Yeah, I think that it's definitely a throwback to that. Another one that got brought up that uh, I'm going to be watching on my personal list, but I know Christina's watched, so not going to mention it, is The Intern, uh, brought up by Andrew Barr. I I always assumed this was a shitty movie and just never even thought to look at it. So I'm excited to find out why I was wrong. And uh, the last one that I will bring up will be, uh, it was brought up by a few people or two more I'm going to bring up, sorry, but from the crowd because we actually got a lot mentioned late. So um, one was from Adelaide and as well as a few others and it's a monster's call. I have not seen this movie. Tony brought this up in the comments as well. So he can't bring this up for his recommendations now. Uh, Christina, have you seen a monster's call no but anthony told me about it he doesn't think i'm gonna like it oh okay that means i'm probably gonna love it so maybe again another personal one and the last one um this is one that i should have already seen it's a documentary we haven't covered a documentary yet and it's minding the gap um it was one of obama's favorite movies of i believe 2018 um it's just uh it's based around skateboarding but i think it's a lot more about um, just kids and how they grow up and how they how they adjust as time moves on. So just looks like a really heartwarming type of story. And I think could be an interesting conversation. So I think those are all really good recommendations from the crowd. 
Tony, go ahead and give us some recommendations from you, and then I'll okay. give it to you, and we'll go. So I have been going through my letterbox and your letterbox, trying to see which ones don't match. So big one, I think, hopefully now you've seen, uh, going back to Seth Rogen for a moment, 50-50 from 2011. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that one. It's oh. Seth Rogen, Joe's good Levitt, really outside of what you would expect from those two in a film together. It's so wonderfully done. It's a really fantastic watch it's a heavy tone of comedy but it's like very if you've liked the big sick for example it's very much in that ilk of cinema okay uh that would be one and also one that i adore but not a lot of people talk about because it's like yeah, the french one's better and true the french one is great but this one is still great even though it and kevin hart should have got an oscar nomination the upside nice okay so i, I don't know that much about this movie so do you so, want to just, yeah, yeah so uh the upside is a remake of the uh, is it the Intouchables or the Untouchables? It's the, the Intouchables. Intouchables. It's the Intouchables with Brian Cranston and Kevin yeah. Hart. Okay. Yeah. I, so thought, you said, I thought you said it, the Outsider at first. And I was like, I don't know what the Outsiders is. The Upside, I'm familiar with. The Upside. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen it though. Got kind of laughed at because it was a remake. Um, yeah, it, it got that thing of just like, oh, it's not the remake. It's it's a remake, and also it got it's a really interesting film for the fact that it was the last film that Harvey Weinstein really had anything to do with. Yeah, and it got buried in everything that happened because deservedly so. He's a terrible person, but it's like it's like Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart really got shafted there. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, I think. Actually, speaking of Kevin Hart, this one might be interesting for you both. I don't think I've seen it, but Night School. Definitely. Oh, I've seen that one with Tiffany Haddish. (laughs) It's a good comedy for Kevin Hart. It's Kevin Hart, and it's Kevin Hart, yes, and it's just wonderfully well done. Okay. Um, And I'll just give a couple of the ones that are like big blind spots of mine because I do always have a lot of these. One is 2012's Lincoln. I haven't seen it, I know I need to see it. It's long, but it's very good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge Daniel Day Lewis fan. And it's just, yeah, it's one that somehow I hadn't seen. I have a feeling that most of my picks probably seen Christina um, because I still somehow have not seen Black Panther. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would, I, I just, I miss out on a lot of MCU movies. I see the big, big ones, and I know this was a huge one. Yeah. I missed out on this one. I love the costume design and everything that I've seen from it. And just like, the over- I just think this is a movie that I'll probably see and like a lot more than maybe a lot of other. But yeah, it's one I need to see, I know. And the, um, ca- the cast in that movie yeah. is perfect. There's very yeah. few movies that are perfectly casted, and this is one of them. It's just one of those movies I, I wish I would have seen already, but just have avoided it for or not seen it for whatever reason. And yeah, those are I think those are good. I've made a bunch of suggestions. So those would be my few. So oh, now go ahead. Go. Just one more if I've just found that you haven't watched. I don't know about Christina because she's an Adelaide box that's really updated. Just Mercy from 2019. Oh, nope. I watched that too. That's <laughs> Dude, um, when I Michael B. Jordan can do no wrong, I don't like he literally cannot. Like he is so freaking good, I can't even. The fact that this man doesn't have an Oscar is insulting to every person that's ever watched him in a movie because he's so good in everything he does, and he is fantastic in this movie. It is heartbreaking, and he's so good at it. The only bad thing about this movie is what the fuck is Brie Larson doing with her accent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's just And uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. as well is in there as one of the prisoners. He's a fantastic role. Jamie Foxx is Jamie Foxx. That is fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you've not seen Just Mercy, it's just like that is a really good recommendation. Okay. Well, I have a bunch of other movies to watch. So now 
we're all going to pick one to uh, make it to the final three to choose from. So um, I'm going to pick Longshot. Uh, this is the I'm probably the newest movie on the list. I'm a huge Seth Rogen fan. Honestly, I'm 50-50 on which Seth Rogen movie I was going to pick. So I really like both of the choices, and I think they're going to be very different conversations. But I'm going to go with Longshot. I live in Washington, D.C., so sometimes when I see politically surrounding movies, I just kind of avoid them just because I'm, I just live in it all the time. And I'm just not exactly looking to escape into that world. But I think that's kind of a stupid reason not to watch this movie. So long shot, uh, Peggy Gubbins would be a lovely guest to have on for that. Um, Christina, your pick for uh, which uh, movie is going to make your final to the final three. I'm going to go with Searching uh, because uh, Anthony has seen this. He talked to me about it last night. It seems very interesting in the way that it is shot. And I feel like I need to expand sometimes uh, the movies I watch just in a, on a visual sense of just seeing different things. So we've done the found footage. I think of like how, how 1917 was just like that single shot, like, and I was just captivated. So I think sometimes it's cool to just see movies that are just presented in a different way than you're used to. And also I believe the story is a father who's looking for his missing child. And mm-hmm. those, I, you know, th- those things just suck me in. So I'm, I'm down for the plot anyway. So just to know that it's filmed in a very interesting way just adds to that so that would be my nomination what i would suggest after you watch searching find the movie from what was it last year last year host i've got what year we're in it's uh yeah. just over an hour long and it's all based on a zoom call in the pandemic and it's like it is a horror you might it's a hope uh, those about living cow corner like we do on facts of film fights but it's very well done it's like and it works perfectly and just like the being able to capture just this feeling of just like claustrophobia because of technology all right, yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about Host also. So we have Searching, we have Long Shot, and for your 2010s pick, Tony, you can pick your own movie too, you just have to make a good pitch. I've done it before. Your pick for 2010s. If you've not, pick. so I do feel that like if you've not seen Long Shot, I think you two have to do it. I think it's really, it's one of the best running mountain comedies of that decade. It's like, it really holds, like Charlize Theron has really interesting performance in it. Seth Rogen, the Seth Rogen character is really interesting as well. You've also got there's also like a lot of allegories that you can take from other things in life, and it's like Jonathan Levine as well is a really interesting director for this decade as well because he did Fifty Fifty at the start, he did Warm Bodies, he did Night Before, he did Snatch, which we will never talk about, and Long Shot. He's really one of these directors where it's just like it feels like you should be getting more recognition of being a very good director, but just like like the two thousand, he's a good representation of the decade in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay. So he's done it's just like so we've got two so we've still got the head-to-head here even with a guest here we've got long shot versus searching my argument against searching it's my only argument against searching is that it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be my first time seeing the movie i have seen it before and oh, i didn't know that i want to put that up oh it's okay you know i i do really like the movie i really respect the movie i'm actually not against doing a podcast it gives it a little bit more shine but i think actually both these movies that's an argument for so it's it's hard for me to argue against having peggy gubbins on and talking about long shot oh yeah that is i mean she is one of my most favorite people of all time yeah and i think the world needs more peggy gubbins in podcast form sounds like uh long shot is going to be the pick uh unless you want to put up a last minute uh defense of searching i do suggest you watch searching this week though Um, i'm literally making a list it's just like i need to to not work like really i should have hit the lottery so that my job could just be watching movies all day but the whole work thing really hinders the movie schedule yeah luckily searching's a searching's a pretty tidy 90 minute thriller i'm pretty sure so and the beginning of searching 
you're going to fall your fucking eyes out. You're just going to be like, I was not ready for Maybe you're a little more ready for it now, but it's still that emotional that it doesn't matter that I prepped it. It's a great time. So, um, Tony, thank you sincerely again for allowing us a platform here with Digesting Cinema to get out there. You edit these podcasts together, including this one, which you have to edit a little more than usual. So thank you for that. Um, but honestly, uh, it was great to have you on. Um, we'll look forward to having you on again soon, sooner or later. We'll have you on either way. Um, anything else that you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, this week, uh, future birthday productions, uh, available on YouTube and on Facebook. That's the best two places to find us. We have got the premier league starting. That's going to be on Thursday release on hopefully in all podcast feeds. I'm still having issues with anchor. The first match is going to be Jade Burns versus Ryan O'Regan. That was a really fun match. We recorded Friday. And then uh, Wednesday, Fancy Film Fights. We are doing Rotten Tomatoes, 51%, 75%. So that's with the four. So that'll be... Uh, Sam Levine did it. No, you didn't. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you didn't say Amaru. Yeah. You said Amaru. Yeah. Good. All right, we got Rue, we got Ryan Permison, we got Alan Shepard, and we got Anthony Tistel. I've never heard of him before. So yeah, that's going to be always fun. And then, yeah, please like, subscribe. If you like the podcast, please share it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on, guys. Yeah, thank hey, you. Anytime, so much. Tony. Yeah, thank you so much. You are our first guest, and uh, we're happy to have you on. Christina, where can people find you if they want to follow your Schmodown escapades? If anybody wants to follow me, please hit me up on Twitter only at, at Christina underscore VEE19. And uh, that's where I will be mostly retweeting stuff that other people tweet because i don't have very good original thoughts that's not true at all but uh the facebook friend requests have been closed now uh, yes. i think we're finding out fair enough she will request you for a friend request if she wants to be your friend at this point i am still allowing facebook requests anyways uh twitter aaron jay brooks that's where i'll be uh either talking movies or fighting so i'm not bipolar i just it's my two interests thank you everybody for joining us Next week, we will be covering the 2010s movie Longshot. Then we start to enter the newer or like the more obscure categories or out of the decades after next week in the challenge. So that's when things start to get really fun. We start to get like a 1940s recommendation with like a 70s with a 2010. It's going to be all over the place. Thank you, everybody. Keep digesting cinema.